You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It's Friday. Friday. Gonna get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Weekend. In the wise, poetic words of Rebecca Black, it is Friday on the Bruce Exclusive. And you know what that means. It means Almighty Takes. We're going to do Almighty Takes, then we're going to take a break, we're going to come back, we're going to do Crumbling the Cookies. As a reminder, you can email me your Almighty Takes, I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. Let's do it. Let's dive in, let's put them in probability buckets if we can, and if not, we'll just kind of chat a little bit. Sean says, having just watched the replay of the Baltimore Ravens-Buffalo Bills game last year, my mind swims. The Bills defense knows how to stop Baltimore. The Bills can run the ball. The Bills can throw the ball. The Ravens are no different now than they were then, really. Some other asides. Cole with his soccer drama interference call, not to mention his third and Cole two-point conversion. Josh is night and day. Offense is night and day. The take, other than you're the best, Bruce, Bills win. First off, thank you for saying I'm the best. I appreciate it. I'm not sure how well the Bills actually do run the ball, generally. They're a middling sort of running offense. And the Ravens did make some adjustments to their personnel this offseason. You know, Patrick Queen comes in. Yannick Ngakwe comes in. They end up bringing in former Jacksonville Jaguar defensive lineman, Calais Campbell. So they did make some adjustments to that team, for sure. Hayden Hurst obviously got shipped out on the offensive side of the ball to Atlanta. So they are a little bit different. I will say the biggest change from last year to this year is the Bills passing offense. But that's really, that's going to be the difference in every single matchup the Bills have between someone who they also had a matchup against in 2019. Because not only is that the biggest change in that matchup, it's one of the biggest changes in the league, period. For those of you who follow me on Twitter and listened to the QB Stew metric amalgamation composite podcast on Thanksgiving Day this year, you will know 
that I released the full 2020 season QB stew rankings. And Josh Allen is the second highest rated quarterback in the league in the QB stew composites. Number one is Aaron Rodgers. Number three is Deshaun Watson. Number four is Patrick Mahomes. That is elite level company. And he wasn't anywhere close to that last year. So that's the biggest change. And that's the biggest reason why I think the Bills can win. Is because that is the largest swing from last time to this time. So I'm going to say somewhat probable. Christopher says, Bruce, what do you have to say to Diggs for honoring you on his cleats? (laughs) For those of you who did not catch it, Stefan Diggs had Bruce Almighty cleats on, which I thought was absolutely priceless. I would love to be able to say that he listens to the pod, but that that's probably not the case. Um, And that actually brings up a really interesting point. People have asked me in the past why I don't have players on and why I don't have media members on very often. And I have content creators on sometimes when I have a specific topic I want to talk about. And the answer to that question while we're on the subject is I don't have players on mostly because I try to keep that as arm's length as humanly possible. Because if I have a relationship with a player where they come on my pod and we talk about it, that's going to make my job a little trickier if the time comes for criticism of that player. So I have a tendency to try to keep that stuff at arm's length a little bit. And the other reason is I just don't like to do it very often. This is a a solo pod. It's always been a solo pod. There are positives and negatives that are associated with being a solo pod. But the reason why I don't ask media members in general is because, quite frankly, they have jobs to do and I don't want to bother them. It's that simple. I don't ask them very often. Um, Very, very rarely will I ask them. I I have uh, I've asked Joe Marino a couple times. Um, to come on and be a part of the pod, but I try not to bother him or anybody else too much because they're professionals and I'm a hobbyist. It's a, it's a different level of the game. And so I try not to bother them with my little podcast here as much as humanly possible, just because I have so much respect for the media, the Bills media and the Bills content creation community. And I try not to try not to bother them too much. So I just thought that was an interesting time to kind of bring that up because I have had people ask me about it before. I'm not saying we never do it. We just don't make a habit of it. We don't do it super often. And I'm not saying that that would never happen. I'm not saying having a player on would never happen. I'm not saying having a media member on would never happen. I'm not saying having a content creator on would never happen because those things do occasionally come up. They just don't happen super often. It's not a foundational piece of what we do here on this particular pod. AJ says, Bruce, my almighty take for this week's game is the Bills will have an easier time putting away the Ravens than they did beating the Colts. Josh Allen will once again have over 300 yards and another three touchdown game. The Ravens blitz more than anyone in the league and Allen has abused opponents who are top 10 in blitzing. Allen has a quarterback rating of 111.6 with 18 touchdowns and two interceptions against the blitz and will be more relaxed after getting that first elusive playoff win. I am predicting 31-24, but the game won't be as close as the score appears. Also, I want to get your opinion on a candidate for the Bills' offensive coordinator job when or if it comes open. 
My unpopular opinion is that we should hire Doug Peterson as Dable's replacement. In his few years at Kansas City, he made Alex Smith a productive, as you can even imagine, as a game manager. I also thought, for the lack of talent and how decimated his team was by injuries, in his tenure at the Eagles, he still managed to have good offensive teams. Say what you want about Carson Wentz. I wouldn't put most blame on Peterson. I still think he has the ability to dial up great schemes and lead good offenses, especially with the load of talent he would have in Buffalo. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you for what you do. AJ. Thank you, AJ. I really appreciate that. I would not be opposed to Doug Peterson. There are rumors that he's going to take a year off from coaching, which would make sense. You know, when you get fired, coaches' contracts are guaranteed. So when you get terminated, as he did, you're still getting paid. So sometimes based on the status of your family and your kids, a lot of coaches take a year off and then they'll come back. Urban Meyer, as of a few moments ago, just got hired as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, and he's taken multiple sabbaticals of time in between coaching jobs. So there's a chance that Doug Peterson's not anywhere next year. So the first hurdle to jump through before we even think about that is, number one, is Dable leaving? Number two, if Dable is leaving, now is Peterson even available? And then if those two things are both yes, then we can deal with, do we want Doug Peterson? I do feel like there's a kind of a rumbling in the community, pun intended, that the hire will be from within. It'll be, you know, Chad Hall, or it'll be Ken Dorsey or something like that. So that's popular water cooler talk. That is not me reporting anything, please. Do not by any means misinterpret that. I would not be opposed to Doug Peterson in general. I wouldn't be by any chance. I'd be fine with it. David says, I should know better. I was around for the Super Bowl teams. The critical will always push away something. But in regards to luck, my take, stopping another team on a fourth down attempt isn't luck. It's playing better. Having your coach make better decisions than the other coach isn't luck. It's out coaching. Stopping a team that has driven down the field for no score isn't luck. It's playing better than them, no matter how many yards they racked up. Having your kicker make long field goals and their kicker miss short ones isn't luck. It's playing better. I could add more to the list, but you get the idea. So there's this discussion of a small amount of rumor that the Bills got lucky right, against the Colts. Luck is interesting because luck implies a level of randomness. So, for example, Daryl Williams recovering Josh Allen's fumble, a little bit lucky. Because the ball is oblong, it bounces in weird ways, and there's more Colts players around that than there is the Bills players. A little bit lucky, sure. But I agree with this. Stopping another team isn't luck. Luck implies a level of randomness to the action. And if there isn't any randomness injected into it that is significant enough where luck one way or another can swing the outcome of the play, then I would agree with you. I I think that luck is overused, really, When it comes to football, there is an element of luck to football. There is, absolutely. But really what we start to use it as, as fans, is anything we don't like, the other team got lucky. And anything we do like, our team is skilled. That seems to be the way it works for the vast majority of football fans. We just overuse luck. I do admit that I've mentioned this before. There's an element of rock, paper, scissors to offensive and defensive play calling for sure. But one of the reasons why you get a quarterback like Josh Allen is someone who can play above the X's and O's. Someone who you can throw scissors and they can throw rock and you can still win the play. Because Josh Allen played above 
the scheme. He played above the X's and O's. Adam says, hello, Bruce. Hope all is well with your dog and your wife. Being a football fan who happens to be a fan of the Bills, you are excited with the Bills' recent win. I am excited. I am one of those boring Bills fans who grew up in Buffalo and have rooted for the Bills my whole life. But my wife's fandom was a wedding gift. After a lifetime of lackluster Jets fandom, on our wedding day, she gifted me her NFL fandom and learned football when we moved to a new town knowing no one. The local Bills bar became a weekly ritual. Friendships were made. Bills mafias everywhere. Now the Bills are a mutual passion, and football season is the best time of year for both of us. There are so many cooler fandom stories out there. Feel free to skip this one, but I know you like fandom stories, if only just to read. No. No. It's not boring. It's awesome. And if I can get on a soapbox for just a second, this is the type of thing that makes relationships work. Not just husband and wife, but friendships, right? Mutual interests. I've said before, love is about sacrifice, right? What are you willing to sacrifice? If you're willing to give up some of your time, some of your energy to learn something. My wife and I play Streets of Rage 4 sometimes on the video game console attached to our television. We like playing Streets of Rage 4. I know all of her favorite YouTubers. It's just the way it works. I've watched a bajillion Hallmark movies. And so sometimes fandom becomes part of that. Fandom is something that matters to pretty much everyone who listens to this pod. There is nobody who is listening to this right now who doesn't care about their fandom. Because the most diehard of diehards listen to sports podcasts. Super casual fans probably don't listen to this show. If you listen to this show, you're probably a super fan. You're probably a real significant diehard Bills fan. And so it matters to you. It's something that is emotionally tethered to you. You chose it to be part of your life. And so when you have a friend or a significant other and they choose to join you in this, that matters. And so no, it's not a boring story. It's awesome. Thanks, Adam. His almighty take is Lamar gets five first downs with his legs and Bills successfully limit his passing attack with a couple exceptions to Hollywood Brown. Bills defense focuses on keeping Lamar in the pocket more so than sacking him to avoid big explosive runs and the Bills don't have a spy designated for him often. Josh Allen does 2020 Josh Allen things and has two touchdowns on the ground, two in the air. Josh throws for over 300 yards again and he is the best source of our run game and throwing, giving the Bills more offensive success. Bills over Ravens, 31-24. Hey, that's the second person who said 31-24. I was on the Hoof podcast as part of the Cover One network earlier this week, and I said 28-24, Bills. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable only because you parlayed a lot of things in there. Five first downs with his legs with Lamar, 300-yard game, two touchdowns in the air, two on the ground, So I'm going to say somewhat improbable, even though each one of these things on their own don't seem crazy. You just parlay a lot of stuff. Jonal says, hi, Bruce. Being a Bills fan from the Dominican Republic, I wanted to have my opportunity to tell the story of how I became part of Bills Mafia. I am Jonal Baden, born and raised in the Dominican Republic. I have always been into a lot of sports, especially following baseball, basketball, tennis. Being a Dominican... I did not have too much exposure to the NFL, except for getting together with friends to watch the Super Bowl, but not really caring much about the actual result of the game. Due to the impact of Tom Brady in the game, most Dominican fans tend to divide between Brady fans and people that root against Brady. My underdog nature made me anti-Brady, even though I didn't really care much. 
as I went to Rochester, New York to make a full-time master's degree in 2010 to 2011, I had a chance to go in person to my first NFL game in 2011 with a group of friends. It was the third game of the season, and the 2-0 Bills were receiving the New England Patriots in Orchard Park. I fell in love with the atmosphere from the very beginning, starting with a walk to the stadium, watching the tailgatings, and especially the in-game experience as such. Some of my friends were supporting Brady, and even though the Bills were losing during the whole game, I was 100% positive and expecting them to win. And I kept telling him the comeback was going to happen. I had no idea how hard that would be to do against Brady at the time. Long story short, we won the game with Fitzpatrick as our quarterback on a last-second field goal, which I am sure every Bills fan remembers. And I got hooked up since then. I was so pumped after the game that I went to the very next home game, which ended up being another win against the Michael Vick-led Eagles, which made me doubt the Bills' narrative at the time and think that we were really a great team. After that, at some point, we had a seven-week losing streak in that season, which made me come back to earth and suffer as a real Bills fan until we were fortunate to get McBean and Josh Allen as our quarterback. After 10 years of being a diehard Bills fan, I look back at my very first game and realize it might have been the best Bills game of the drought. How lucky I was. I'm very happy and fortunate to be a part of Bills Mafia since I believe it's one of the best fan bases of any American sport. Hope to win the Super Bowl this year or very soon. Go Bills. So, Jonal, did you know that you and I were both at the Eagles game? That Eagles-Michael Vick game? I was there. I may have mentioned to you that my brother is an Eagles fan. We went to that game together. I was there with my wife and my brother. And that was a good game. We won, obviously. I was excited about it. But you and I, you and I, Jonal, were connected. We were both at that game. What a great story. I love those stories. Thanks so much, guys. Evan says, hey, Bruce, hope all is well with you. While I'm nervous about this game, I'm content with the season. This team is young and growing better. However, I think there's a chance when I saw the stat retweeted by Jeremy White of WGR. First off, Jeremy White's awesome, so always make sure you follow his stuff. Bill's offense was number two in most dropbacks with four or more wide receivers on the field in 2020. Ravens defense against four or more wide receivers per pro football focus. Yards per attempt, they're 21st in the league. Explosive pass play rate, 23rd in the league. Passer rating, 26th in the league. Basically, the Ravens aren't good against four or more wide receivers. Evan says, I think there's an outside chance that my nerves are calmed by the beginning of the fourth quarter. I don't think the defense will be able to stop Lamar enough to make it a blowout, but I don't think it'll be as close as the Indianapolis game. I do think that on paper, the Ravens defense doesn't match up with the Bills offense super well. They blitz a lot. Josh Allen's good against the blitz. They don't play well against four or more receivers. Bills run a lot of four or more receivers. So if you see things like this, you're like, okay, I can put it together in my head why it might be a weakness on strength sort of scenario. So I do think that there's a chance that the Bills win by more than they did against the Indianapolis Colts. And there's also a chance they lose too because the Ravens are a good team. There aren't any bad teams remaining at this point. Everybody you play is a good team. So I think this is somewhat probable. Allen says, Hi Bruce, I want to say something about the Allen sack fumble at the end of the game. I agree it was a bad decision by Josh Allen not to give up, and I think he knows that. But never giving up is one of the innate traits and qualities that make Allen the player he is. I think as Bills fans, asking him to give up on those plays is trying to make him be someone he isn't. And with that, maybe you lose some of that juice that would have negated many great plays if he had just taken the sack. 
I think we have to learn to live with this Josh Allen the rest of the way, and I personally am comfortable and enjoying rooting for him with that in the equation. Allen. So we've talked about this before. You can't modify traits too much. I'm actually not mad at Allen for not giving up. I'm mad at him for fumbling. So that ability to kind of get out of the sack and try to make a play and accidentally run into the second guy, like, I'm not mad about that. He lost an extra yard or two. I'm just mad about keeping the hands of the ball. Like, that's fine. If you want to be a little bit insane with that thing and you want to try and break out of one tackle and maybe try and make a play, we've seen that happen, which is fine. But just keep your hands on the ball. So I partially agree with it. I don't think we can be super critical of Josh Allen trying to make a play. But if you're going to try and make a play, that's fine. Try to make that play while securing the ball. David says, his almighty take is, Owners have a long history of stupid and or baffling hires. This gives the Bills some chance of keeping Dable. 100%, David. 100%. Almighty take, highly probable. The fact of the matter is, axiom number one for Bruce, life guiding axiom number one, people are stupid. And people do stupid things all the time. So I have been operating under the assumption that Brian Dable is going to be gone this whole time. But Jacksonville just hired Urban Meyer, Robert Sala is at second interviews with both the Jets and the Chargers. So crossing your fingers, there is a good shot, maybe, that the Bills hold on Dable. I think it would be a mistake if somebody didn't hire Brian Dable, but I'm down with it. Maybe he's a terrible interview, which might behoove the Buffalo Bills organization. Trevor says, howdy, Bruce. My almighty take, the Steelers game this year is a preview for what we try to execute Saturday night. A team that throws a lot of pressure will continue to do so. I'm confident the offense is able to handle it appropriately and cut them up with slant routes and other effective quick passes. The issue comes stopping them defensively. Their run game is concerning. I believe the weather impacts this game enough to keep it extremely close and uncomfortable. I have no idea who will win. Bonus take. Williams becomes RB1 at some point in the game, more than likely before halftime. Okay, so I don't know if Williams is going to play. Yeldon was activated for the game, and historically... The Bills have only ever this entire year activated three or two running backs. At no point have they activated four. So we have Singletary, Yeldon, Taiwan Jones. So if they were to activate Williams, they will be doing something that they've never done this year, ever. So I would say highly unlikely that he becomes RB1 at some point in the game. In regards to the other take with the Steelers game, I do think you got to kind of get used to it being uncomfortable. There's not a lot of blowouts in playoff games. So I expect it to be an uncomfortable game for sure. I say that's highly probable. Chris says, Bruce, long time, first time. Hey, thanks for chipping in with an almighty take, Chris. My almighty take is that the Bills are the bizarro Patriots. They both have defensive-minded head coaches that fill press conferences with coach speak, cliches saying nothing. But while Bill Belichick is kind of a dick about it, Sean McDermott is still polite and professional without showing his hand. They are, were in the case of New England, both led by elite quarterbacks, but Josh Allen and Tom Brady could not have more different personalities and play styles. They both have strong locker room cultures, but while New England's is based around high expectations, professionalism, and do-your-job ethos of Bill Belichick, Buffalo's focus is do it for each other. Last is the difference that brings me to my take for the divisional round. The Patriots built a juggernaut and believe their success to be inevitable and unstoppable. The Bills, however, are a much more emotional team than they let on. In week eight, 
Buffalo won a very close game against New England and was outplayed in several aspects. But that win removed the monkey from our collective back, and we went to Foxborough in a Week 16 much better Bills team that beat the brakes off an inferior opponent. I think the win over the Colts was a parallel to our first win over New England. It wasn't pretty. We fought over a few things, and we won a tight game with the opponent having a chance to win at the end. But we got over the hump, and this team doesn't just believe they can win in the postseason. They know it. Now, whoever we play this weekend will witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational battle station. Bills by a billion. Chris. Just remember that the power of the operational and fully armed battle station is nothing compared to the power of the dark side. Anyway, moving along, I think there's something to this. Somebody asked me this week how I was feeling from a stress level standpoint. I said, you know, I love it with you. I'm a lot less stressed than I was last week because I don't have to deal with the narrative that Sean McDermott is Marvin Lewis because they won a playoff game. I do wonder if that trickles into the team. You and I have talked about this before. I recognize that there is a mental aspect to playing football. I recognize that. You can't quantify it. And I think it's pretty arrogant of me to look at them on the sidelines and think I can observe it. But I recognize that it's there. So I do acknowledge that that's probably a part of this. And it very likely could manifest itself. The whole monkey off the back thing is a real thing that people experience. Competitors and sports athletes and salespeople and business executives, they all experience monkey off the back moments. So maybe this is it for the team. I I think that there's something to that. I don't know how you would possibly observe it or evaluate it, but I recognize it could be a contributing factor for sure. Daniel says, all season, I haven't been concerned or disappointed in the play calling until today. When have we ever ran on the first three downs? It makes me nervous that McDermott has issued some kind of decree to be more conservative. If that's the case, I'm maximum concerned. How do we get here? We let Josh sling the pill. Why all of a sudden are we abandoning that? Josh put up historic numbers. Why would we change course now? I understand unleashing quarterback runs now. It's the playoff. How is that better than Josh just throwing, though? Quarterback runs haven't been a staple in the offense all season. Why be dependent on it now? Also, we want to keep the guy healthy, don't we? I believe in Dable. But if this is his mindset for the playoffs, someone needs to step in. We were a historic offense in 2020. Why switch it up now and try and be run heavy in the playoffs? All teams basically play on the synthetic grass. So we are the greatest show on turf reimagined. Let's keep doing what brought us here and stop the other stuff. Bottom line, put Diggs, Cole, Smoke, and Gabe on the field. Let's get to work. Unleash Josh and give him the keys. Nobody has been able to stop it. Why change? Let's continue to do what brought us here. Josh and 10 or 11 personnel and be the gunslinger and elite athlete the team trusts to make plays. How all of the sudden is the coaching staff treating him like Jimmy Garoppolo or Trubisky? Josh has made the plays and decisions all season to deserve the trust. He is the offense. What happened? From the all of a sudden concerned fan from West Virginia. Daniel, my good man, I hope you listened to yesterday. I hope that listening to yesterday helped you take a deep breath, helped you calm down a little bit. I don't think the Bills were run heavy. I don't think 41 passes to 16 called runs is run heavy by any means. In fact, I think it's a little bit over our pass ratio for the year. Now, I think that the interpretation of that, I understand where that comes from because there were two specific times in the game 
where the Bills ran three runs in a row and both times the drive stalls. So that can kind of stick in your craw and you can think to yourself, on, what's going on? Why are we run heavy? But a lot of times that's us being prisoners of the moment. And if you know anything about this podcast, this isn't really a prisoner of the moment sort of podcast. One of the reasons why it comes out on Thursdays and Fridays every week is so that I don't fall prisoner to the moment. Now, I'm not really susceptible to that very often. It's not really in my DNA. You guys probably figured that out by now. But I don't think looking back at it, you can say we run heavy. I do think that there was some timing with a few of the run calls that I didn't prefer, for sure. But if you call 41 pass plays, Josh scrambled on some of them. But if you call 41 pass plays, I'm good with it. And in regards to the quarterback runs, we talked about that yesterday on the pod too. That if the traditional runs aren't going to work, then you shouldn't run it 25 times out of I formation against the Colts defense. That's a bad idea. But you still want to try and keep them honest. And if the numbers are there, quarterback runs are fairly easy plays to run. They're fairly low risk. And if the box numbers are in your favor and you want to pick up six to eight yards, let's do it. So I hope that I was able to answer the question now and also yesterday. And I do think that there isn't really an argument to be made overall that the Bills were run heavy against the Colts based on just the amount of plays that they called that were runs and plays that they called that were passes. I do think that there was some run timing, two specific instances of run timing that I didn't prefer, for sure. And I have a feeling that that just kind of stuck in us a little bit. And we said, gosh, we're run heavy. And we didn't really take a step back and look at the whole game. We just looked at those particular two instances, which I understand because I was frustrated with them too. I mentioned that on the pod yesterday. I don't want to run the ball three times in a row against the Colts defense unless I'm trying to bleed clock, even if you pick up eight yards the first time. Because the law of large numbers tells you you, against that defense, you're not going to pick up eight yards every time. They're really, really good against the run. So if you pick up eight yards, great, that's awesome. Don't just keep trying that because you're probably not going to have the same level of success. Andrew says, here's a long-term take. When his rookie deal ends, Gabe Davis will be developed into a true number one wideout and will be the next generation Stephon Diggs. Maybe not first-team All-Pro, franchise record-setting Stephon Diggs, but the Diggs that Bills fans expected in June of 2020. The Bills have put considerable emphasis on giving rookies a veteran player to learn and develop behind. Harrison Phillips had Kyle Williams. Singletary had Frank Gore. Reggie Gilliam was supposed to have Patrick DeMarco. Gabe Davis will have Stephon Diggs for his entire rookie deal. It's pretty clear that Diggs has already had an impact on Davis. The rookie showed up with his footwork at the end of the half versus Indianapolis and made a number of other Diggs-esque plays during the regular season, like the diving touchdown versus Miami. The fact that he was recognized fourth-round steal on draft day doesn't really matter. Diggs was taken in the fifth. Diggs will pass the torch to Davis when the time comes, and it will be awesome. I think Diggs is young enough that he doesn't really pass the torch to anybody. I don't think that Diggs is old enough at this point where that Diggs is going to pass the torch to Davis. I think ideally, Diggs will have Davis alongside him as wide receiver too. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable just because I think Gabe Davis is being groomed to be wide receiver two, not necessarily wide receiver one. 
Now, obviously, you can split hairs there because if you have two 1,100-yard receivers in a year, I mean, who's wide receiver one? Who's wide receiver two at that point? But only because of the age of Stephon Diggs and how young he still is, I don't think he's going to be passing a torch. I think he's going to be in Buffalo for a long time. Pat says, MC Blowhard, I have been thinking about your plurality pie for games and think that something similar can be developed for determining if this Bills season is a success. I think that this team is capable of making a fairly deep playoff run, but pinning success or failure on the result of a single elimination tiny sample size tournament is not exactly fair to the team either. My hot take is that if you separated out the measurements of success for this football team, even before the playoffs started, this is deemed a successful season. Look at what this team has already accomplished. Win the division, sweep the division, year-long award candidates at MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year, multiple All-Pro votes. They break many positive franchise records, points, passing, receiving, punts, things like that. A smart podcaster once said that winning is not as predictive of future winning as much as the method by which you win. Well, this team showed they're capable of winning in multiple ways and by multiple scores. I know playoff outcomes are all that matters in a certain segments of fans' minds. But my hot take is that regardless of the outcome on Saturday, mind you, this email was sent to me before the game against Indianapolis, the Bills have shown enough during a larger sample size of the regular season to be deemed success. I am thinking of you and your wife and hope everything goes well, Pat. First off, thank you. I've gotten a lot of emails about my wife and my dog. I really appreciate you guys checking in on me. It means a lot to me that you guys think that I have um, such a significant impact on your weeks that you felt the need to take time out of your day and send me a message to check in. It just, it just means a lot. So thank you for that. Anyway, I think really this particular topic comes down to whether or not successful is binary is successful binary is it success or a failure is it something or bust that's why i've never ever said something or bust right i think i i kind of hinted at maybe playoff division win or bust like win the division win a playoff game or bust but really we've talked about that it's just because i didn't want to deal with the narratives the entire offseason when it comes to sean mcdermott but For example, if the Bills would have lost to the Colts, is this year a failure? I would say no, it's not a failure because of Josh Allen. Because the method by which you win and the things that correlate to long-term winning are things like, I don't know, having a franchise quarterback. And if your quarterback takes a step forward toward being a franchise quarterback, then that's a success, not just because of the winning this year, because of the promise and hope and potential and correlation to future winning. And so I agree with this and only the fact that I think that success and failure are not necessarily binaries. It's not one or the other. It's a gradient. And so I think there's plenty of successful things that came out of the season, regardless of whether or not the Bills would have won or lost against Indianapolis. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to crumble cookies. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Let's crumble some cookies. As we always do every week, we talk about a couple of high-level items that I think are strategically relevant for the upcoming game, in this case, against the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round of the playoffs. The first point is under pressure. The Ravens, as we've already talked about, 
bring the blitz more than any other team in the NFL. Josh Allen actually has a higher passer rating against the blitz, 111.6, than he does when not facing the blitz, 105.7. At face value, this would appear to benefit the Bills and Allen. However, very important. Allen posted the worst QBR of his 2019 season against the Ravens, where he got blitzed on 11 of his first 12 passes and 63% overall that day. Now, he has clearly shown improvement against the blitz in general. But the important thing here is qualitatively, the types of blitzes the Ravens send will be important. And the types of answers offensive coordinator Brian Dable gives to Josh Allen will matter. In the Bills' last matchup, Against the Arizona Cardinals, the Hale Murray game, a large impetus in the Buffalo's second half offensive lull was protection issues with the zone pressure Arizona was sending. Do you remember? We did an entire podcast on it. We went through and charted every single play. Do you remember how often in that little charting there was issues with pressure? It was frequent. Now, it should be noted the Bills had a different guard for that matchup than they do for this matchup. Because Ike Butker is in and Brian Winters is out. But it's still a good test of protection communication. Getting the play in early, giving Allen time at the line will be important. Having him use hard count to draw rushers. All this stuff matters against pressure. You can't be late getting your plays in, Brian Dable. You can't be late getting the play out of your mouth, Josh Allen. Get up there. Have time for motion and shifts. Have time to survey the defense. The better you are pre-snap, the better off this game is going to go. In addition, the amount of man coverage the Baltimore Ravens run, very similar to that of the Cardinals. So I'll give you a great example. The Bills had self-scouted. Do you remember the Bills were using that tunnel screen to the perimeter to a wide receiver to beat blitzes? So they knew that other teams knew that. So they drew up a counter to the counter. So that it was a shot play to Gabriel Davis. It was harpooned by less than ideal protection on that game. More of these creative solutions may be necessary. Because the Ravens are a well-coached team. Wink Martindale is a good coach. He's going to know what the answers you like to have against pressure are. So this game, you got to come up with different answers. Or you have to counter their counter. The second thing. When it comes to the Bills on defense. And the Ravens on offense. Is don't be a mofo. MOFO is an acronym. If I was going to simplify defensive coverages, right? Put everything in two groups. It's MOFO and MOFC. Middle of the field open and middle of the field closed. Middle of the field open, just picture it with me in your head. Cover one and cover three. Both have a safety occupying the center middle of the field. Those would be considered to be middle of field closed coverages. Middle of field open coverages are things in the cover two and cover four, otherwise known as quarters, families, where there is no safety occupying the middle third of the field. Why is this relevant? Because Lamar Jackson throwing to the middle of the field is 127 for 181, which is a 70% completion rate. For 1,585 yards, which is 8.76 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, and 5 interceptions this year. Throwing outside of the hashes, he is 87 of 142, which is 61% completion percentage. For 1,109 yards, which is 7.8 yards per attempt, 13 touchdowns, and 5 interceptions. 
a nine-point completion drop and almost a full yard of yard per attempt, that's enough to be statistically significant. The Bills ran middle-of-the-field open coverages more often this year than they run middle-of-field closed coverages. 33% cover one, 21.2% cover two, 19.7% cover three, 13.4% quarters. When you consider the work that the Colts tight ends were able to do against the Bills last week and the presence of Mark Andrews for the Ravens, the Bills would do well to make sure Lamar has to play the game as much as possible outside the hashes. A lot of cover one, a lot of cover three, a lot of robber coverages. Make sure that he is kind of encouraged to throw the ball outside the numbers. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. The next time we talk will be after the Bills play the Baltimore Ravens. And hopefully we can say to them what we said to the Indianapolis Colts after we knocked down their Hail Mary. And that is, sorry guys, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rockers.